0: Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the Bread of Life. Let us seek Him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hugen. The gospel stories, with all their accounts of the person and ministry of Jesus Christ, also inform us that those who walked with Him were still wrestling with who this person of Jesus was. They had their hopes, for sure, but there were also questions. Was he really the Messiah? And they had questions about themselves as well. At the Last Supper, Jesus told them that one of them would betray him, and we are told that all of them began to ask, Is it me? Whatever they professed to be their faith at that time, they were really not quite sure about Christ or about themselves. All that uncertainty, however, began to dissipate, On the day that Jesus died, but not in a good way. As we will see, they began to be certain that they had been wrong to hope in Jesus. This is the life of the disciples before Christ died and rose from the grave. Now for a moment, consider the disciples after he died, after Christ died. After Christ dies on the cross and before his resurrection, we see a conclusion beginning to take shape in them. They become almost more conclusive than before. You find this in Luke chapter 24, the passage that was read for us in our scripture reading. You'll see that they're beginning to draw a conclusion about what it was and what their hopes were and what their desires were. And you see this basically taking shape in verses 21 and 22. They speak of the Condemnation of Christ to death, and that He was crucified by Pilate through the chief priests and our rulers. Here's what it said in verse 21. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day, and these things have happened. Actually, you'll read it in another translation. It's like this: We had hoped that it had been he who would have redeemed Israel. And the key words in the phrase here, folks, are had and had been. We had hoped he had been. What are they beginning to conclude at this point in time? We were wrong. He was not. Jesus now in their minds is a had-been they had hoped in. They tell the story of women who have come back and reported that the tomb is empty and that they've had a dream or a vision of angels and uh, they're not impressed. They tell of even others... So the disciples that ran to the tomb and found that the tomb was empty, but this hasn't changed the conclusion. The conclusion now is so deep and so drawn so deep in them that they're not swayed by even the testimony of an empty tomb because they didn't see him. They're not swayed by the testimony of the woman. These men are like Thomas. I won't believe it's true unless I can put my hands in his wounds and thrust my hand into his side. I won't believe it. No, I won't be fooled twice. I'll only be fooled once, not the dreams of angels, not the visions of angelic announcements, not the hysteric, wishful thinking of desperate and sad women, not even the report of an empty tomb from the other disciples will convince us of this. They know, they know that other messiahs had come upon the scene. Prior to Christ, there were other people that come along and individuals who put their hope in them and... They basically all ended the same way their hopes in the Lord Jesus had ended. It ended with the death of the one that they would put their hopes in. Actually, Josephus tells the story of one Simon Priya who had led a number of individuals in a revolt. He had been a slave of the high priest and then he had taken on himself the crown and declared himself to be the Messiah and they had gone against a number of different garrisons that were held by Herod and also by the Romans until eventually the Romans caught up with him and he was beheaded. And that was the end of his messianic reign. And all of his followers wandered off into other places. And so they had invested themselves in Christ and they saw something far more telling and far more wonderful. And they had even allowed themselves to think that maybe this was not just a prophet, but this was the prophet. This was the one that was the Messiah they were hoping for. And now they've seen him die like so many others before the hands of the power of Rome. And, well, they're not going to allow themselves to be crushed again by letting hope creep in them. They're drawing their conclusion. So before the death and resurrection of Christ, the disciples were uncertain about themselves and they were uncertain about Christ. And after the death of Christ and before His resurrection, they were dismissive of visions and they were concluding that they had been wrong. They were deciding that Jesus was not the Redeemer that they had hoped in. Now, consider the disciples' lives following the first day of the week, following that Sunday in which Christ rose from the grave. They were approaching a conclusive faith in between that period of time, but here you see their faith is conclusive. Peter is found preaching to a multitude in Jerusalem some 53 days after the Lord Jesus' resurrection from death. This Peter who had denied him, who was cowering in the back of the crowd, now of a sudden is out in front again speaking. And what does he say in Acts 2, verses 22 through 24? Read these words. Men of Israel, in the middle of Jerusalem, in the middle of the Feast of Pentecost, Another great crowd is swept into the city. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. What is it? We knew the same thing. We saw the same things. We were once standing in the exact same position that you are now standing in. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold on him. And now Peter will preach that this God has made Jesus Christ both Lord and Christ. You'll see that in Acts chapter 2, you'll see that in Acts chapter 3, you'll see that in Acts chapter 4, you'll see that in Acts chapter 5. Peter is preaching the same message over and over again. And he will tell us what the inference is of this truth, but it begins with this: the fact, the conclusive fact. A fact that became so compelling and overwhelming that these men who had been filled with doubt about themselves and doubt about the Savior became lifelong missionaries of Jesus Christ in this message. They will go to Asia, they will go to India, they will go to Europe, they will go to Spain, they will go to Rome, they will go to Britain, they will go to Africa. These are men who were devoted to the land of Galilee as the Holy Land, the land that was the epitome of God's promise to the people of Israel, and they abandoned that land to go to the farthest reaches that they knew of, to bring the message of a resurrected Savior, the fact of the eyewitness account of His resurrection from the dead and as a result then, instructing people in all the faith that would go from there. And their life was a life of amazing self-denial. And it was a life of extreme personal sacrifice. And those that came to them and responded to their message bound themselves as well into a life of profound suffering. Because they embraced the message of this fact of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Roman historian Tacitus writes about 70 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He narrates a persecution that took place about 30 years after the cross of Jesus Christ in which the persecution of the church or Christians in the Roman world reached its height under the reign of Nero. He explains how the Christians were clothed in the skins of animals and thrown to wild dogs how they were painted with pitch and set on fire as a way to illuminate the night of the city of Rome. Of the 11 disciples who had been sitting at the table and asked Jesus, Lord, is it I? Am I the one who's going to betray you? Of those 11 who were not willing to be stirred by the vision of angels or the report of the women that Jesus was alive, of those 11 disciples who at one time had concluded that they were wrong and that Jesus was not the Redeemer of Israel. Of those 11, 10 are going to die horrendous martyrs' deaths declaring the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the conclusive faith that flowed from that fact that Jesus is the Savior of all men. And by Him alone can men find forgiveness. And by Him alone can men be made right. The faith that issues from the fact is conclusive because the facts stand. They had eaten with him. They had touched him. He had taught them. They had been with him in small groups and individually and in large groups. They had been with him men and women. They had seen him sitting and standing and they saw him ascending before their eyes into heaven to the throne of God. That'll change your life. That'll change you from a doubter to a believer in a moment. That will bring to a point of profound, unmovable, unshakable conclusion even before the sword and the spear and fire and wild animals, whatever it is, whatever it is, we're not changing. You know why? Because you can't change the facts. You can't. And this is what they believe. Paul tells us the heart of this gospel that they preached in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Let me read to you a few of these verses and let me just share a few more things with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I want to remind you of the good news or gospel. Verses 3 through 7, he says this. This is at the heart of the gospel. Note, please, there is an element of faith. There is a bit of instruction here, but it's instruction that is borne out and rises from facts. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. There there is the issue of faith. He died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, now that's a fact, and that he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, and then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one who is abnormally born. This is the gospel message. Now, I want to share with you very briefly, out of this fact, the conclusive faith that is drawn by them. You'll see that every time in the book of Acts where a message is preached, there is this declaration of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and then there is some matter of faith that's put forward forward Based upon that, let me share with you one. I read it to you in our opening reading, Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. There in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, Paul says in Antioch of Pisidia, Be it known, through this man is the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all who believe are made righteous. What it tells us is this fact was not, for, was not just God uh, doing some kind of trick. Not God just trying to send a little note of inspiration our way to show us that He had brought victory over the grave, but that God had actually accomplished something. This death upon the cross realized a significant, profound purpose. It answered a significant and profound problem. Christ, when He died upon the cross, died for a purpose, And when he rose from the grave, he rose for a purpose. He died on that cross in order to take the punishment of our sins and remove its sentence against us so that we might be forgiven. And he rose in order to attribute to our lives the account of all of his surpassing righteousness. Follow the facts, and this is where they triumphantly lead. They lead to an answer for your sins and an answer for your need to be right with the God who made you. Follow the facts into a sure faith. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.